You're listening to The 202 Studio, a podcast series exploring the creative sparks emanating from the District of Columbia. Throughout the series, we'll be talking with artists, humanities practitioners, organizational leaders, and many others. Individuals working behind the scenes and in the spotlight in organizations, studios, and workshops in all eight wards. As we explore the heartbeat of DC's arts, humanities, creativity, and culture. To learn more, visit dcarts.dc.gov. Welcome to the 202 Studio Podcast from the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities. I'm Jeffrey Scott, and today's episode... We're speaking with the conductor of the Capital City Symphony, who's been in that position since 1997, Maestra Victoria Gal. Hello. Hi. We were talking earlier that, of course, these podcasts are for the commission's 50th anniversary, uh, but the symphony is also in the midst of their 50th anniversary year as well. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, we know how the the commission was started by you know legislation what's what's some of the history of of the symphony since we're going back to 1968 here what was sure sure it's actually it's it's actually a really great story we were founded originally as the georgetown symphony um, by a georgetown university student by the name of louis fantasia and um so it started the orchestra started out first of all as sort of a town gowned town gown type orchestra at the university um there's a wonderful story that sort of brings our whole history together in the 50 years the first concert was scheduled for april the beginning of april 1968 and as Everybody probably is very aware of what happened in April of 1968 uh, with the assassination of Martin Luther King and the, the riots and the burning that followed in D.C. Um, the founder of the orchestra canceled the, co- the first concert because of that and had to go to the stage of Gaston Hall and announce it to the audience members that didn't get the message because obviously there was an email. And uh, then he went up on the roof and uh, watched Watch DC burn. And now in uh, 2005, we changed our name to the Capital City Symphony and took up residence at uh, the Atlas Performing Arts Center as one of the founding arts partners. And uh, it's really neat that now we find ourselves part of the revitalization of one of those areas of DC that uh, um, was was destroyed during that time. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what brought you. What brought you to this position um, in '97? You were you were in Richmond prior to that, correct? Um, well, I lived in the D.C. area. Okay. I was conducting um, an orchestra in Richmond that I only actually picked up um, a couple of months before I got this one. So for a few years, I, I conducted both orchestras. We okay. we tend to do that in my profession. Sure. Um, <laughs> but I'd I'd uh, I'd been in the D.C. area since 1992 and uh, uh, co-founded a small opera company called The Other Opera Company, and we were in Bethesda. Um, And was music directing for a lot of the smaller opera companies in town, the Washington Saviards and the N-Series and so forth. Um, But uh, um, as far as as this particular job, uh, you know, my my master's degree is in conducting, and and that was my my direct career path. And uh, so we apply for everything and anything that looks like it might be interesting and relevant and uh, this is one that came along and uh, and worked out worked out well for me and uh, um, it's just been very very exciting to see the the 
um, how the orchestra and I have grown together over those 20 years. And so uh, how many, how many uh, directors, maestros have had the orchestra had prior to, to you was just one? Is there were, or? so my immediate predecessor, uh, John Welsh was mm-hmm. with the orchestra for 23 years. Um, and, um, Louis Fantasia, who founded the orchestra, had the orchestra for three years, and I believe there was one conductor for a, a couple of years in between them, okay. um, making me the fourth. It was the fourth, okay. But certainly, uh, you two, the last one, uh, have had the longest tenures of, of any That's of right. Them. I haven't quite matched his tenure yet. <laughs> but but you're still going strong, so you, you <laughs> certainly right. match and pass, I, I would say. I, I hope to. So um, what what is it like? conducting you know a classical symphony in in dc we think of the kennedy center i think when people think of of more you know of art music you know some symphonic style music um and then anything that's where you would go for that but that's Mm -hmm. you know those of us i mean you know that there's certainly more opportunities to experience the more classical music of of orchestra or opera than just at the Kennedy Center. There are other companies such as yours and other ones throughout the city. How how has that been uh, in your time to 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 sort of to compete, to have to have a share of the market, to attract audience? And and that's a great question. Um, I first of all, you know, I, I People, I think, don't realize this necessarily about D.C., what a remarkably vibrant um, artistic culture that there actually is here um, in the area. And uh, the Kennedy Center, of course, is the the biggest, most visible uh, figurehead of um of, of musical life in the city, as as is, of course, the NSO, the the most obvious um, thing that people think of. But what we represent is a very different and I think equally valuable experience. These smaller groups such as ours give people the opportunity to engage more directly uh, with the music and the musicians. So I I can't say that I've ever felt entirely like we were competing directly with the Kennedy Center, although perhaps a little bit more when we were located in Georgetown mm-hmm. because we were so close. But once once we came over to to H Street and to Capitol Hill, um, we're providing uh, we're providing an opportunity to attend concerts that, that residents can walk to and get to very easily. You know, by the time um, they've by the time you pay for parking at the Kennedy Center, you've practically bought a ticket to our concerts. Uh, so it's a it's a just a very very different, more intimate experience. Um, and I think I enjoy the different. I enjoy the difference mm-hmm. um, because I think there's a place for it all. We we offer engagement. Uh, community engagement with music on all levels. Our our musicians are members of the community that are, for their livelihoods, their livelihoods, most of them are not music, although I will say that we have a lot of music teachers playing for us, but a lot of them, you know, work on the Hill or work over, you know, on K Street or work for nonprofits and all sorts of things. And for them, 
uh, this is this valuable service that they get. So that's a, another aspect of Kennedy of in, musical engagement that we have that is different from that experience of the the higher level, much 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 higher budget music musical organizations. And are, are the majority of your musicians are they are they still based in D.C. or the immediate area or because I know sometimes with uh, orchestral mu- musicians that they, they travel a lot. Um, right, you know, it's, right. It's the same with um, actors too. You, uh, exactly, exactly. Go to where the where the opportunities are. I I think that. Um, the definitely the majority. I couldn't tell you at this point exactly what percent, but although we we do track that, uh, a pretty solid majority of our members are DC residents. Um, we have a lot of musicians these days that that, that walk to rehearsal, so they're you know hyper local. That's fun, especially if they're carrying a double upright bass with them or something down the right? street. <laughs> I'm not sure the bass players walk to rehearsal. <laughs> Hopefully not the symphony players either. There's a lot to push right. around. Um, and what, how many members, how many musicians are currently in the orchestra? I think we have roughly a membership of about 70. Okay. Uh, there's not always that number on the stage that varies a little bit according to the, uh, instrumentation of a concert. And, uh, also, you know, back to the professions of the orchestra member, you know, we have, um, we have a sub list that goes pretty deep because we get people that are called off, you know, I just lost my tuba player to, you know, Brussels for three months. Mm. So, you know, now he's back, <laughs> but you know, that kind of thing happens, um, particularly in this area a lot. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, some of the outreach programs, uh, particularly the, your youth focused programs, uh, because we know that, uh, arts in general can be very beneficial f- for students, for young people, uh, to mm-hmm. study, but, I think there's something even more particular about the study of music uh, that can be really impactful for for a lot of young people uh, in terms of of, of of thinking and the relationship to math. Uh, I've heard. Right. And so, uh, talk to me a little bit about the, any the work that y'all have done along lines of engaging youth. Sure, right. Um, and and you're you're exactly right when you say that. I, I know that there. I don't have them in front of me, so I'm talking a little bit out of school. But there definitely are studies that have have shown that connection between music making and and critical thinking and and math skills and all sorts of things. Um, what what we are able to do, um, given the size of our organization, um, is to create opportunities for exposure or in to or involvement with music. Um, but one of the things that uh, we've had going for a number of years has been an annual family concert, which has gotten to be really, really popular um, because, uh, well, for one thing, and I might add, this is, this applies to all of our orchestra concerts, kids 16 and under are free um, and have been for since before my time um, to our concerts. Yes. Um, so that's a great thing right there to make it more possible for families to come. And, uh, then we do, a um, an annual family concert, which is very interactive. It has a, we have an instrument petting zoo, Mm -hmm. um, beforehand when large numbers of orchestra members circulate through the lobby and through the concert hall and, and, uh, interact with the audience. Um, and then I, uh, the, the concert, 
certainly has, I, I, I introduce them to the instruments of the orchestra and, and, and have some teaching moments, um, but also really set it up so that the, those young kids that are coming possibly for the first time, probably for the first time, feel a real sense of engagement and connection to what's going on, hopefully setting the groundwork for them to want to continue to be engaged with music, for them to want to pick up an instrument, for them to want to study. I mean, this is we're talking three and four year olds that are coming to these concerts. Um, so uh, I think that that's a great value that we can bring. Uh, so that's that's something that's a program that we've had going. I think I started the family concerts my first or second year with the orchestra um, and they've been so popular and uh, we found that the families with even younger and younger children are bringing them. We're trying a slightly different format this coming year and we're going to try to schedule a family concert mini series, two or three concerts that are, are a little shorter mm. with smaller numbers of people, but that we have more opportunities for people to come throughout the year and engage with us in that way. Um, so that's something that we've been doing. And, uh, we also, um, speaking of the commission, were, uh, very honored to be granted, um, one of the, the that first cycle of the, um, field trip experience grants, um, that the commission had this past year. And, uh, and through that, we did a pair of concerts for DC school, uh, third graders. And uh, they came to the Atlas Performing Arts Center. I think we had eight schools that we worked with um, and uh, uh, worked uh, very, very kind of integrated with the with the music office at, at D.C. to make sure that uh, that I was in sort of incorporating curricular appropriate language and uh, level appropriate um, concepts uh, for them. So we did a, a Petting Zoo prior to that concert, the concert which was interactive, and then followed by an interactive workshop that further worked on concepts in the, uh, that were in the concert. Um, so that was a great thing to be able to do. We're you know hoping to be able to to repeat an experience like that next year. And these were third grade students. You said third grade students. How did they, yeah. how how did they react to it? What did they? Did oh, they, they had a great yeah. time. <laughs> I yeah. Think it, it yeah it uh, um, they seemed to be very engaged. Um, uh, I, I have yet to hear, you know, specific feedback from the schools. I hope that we'll be able to get, uh, you know, feedback from the teachers. But uh, um, they, it, the feeling was was very good, and the engage level of engagement and uh, and focus from the kids was great. You know, you you have a you you kind of know when you're losing an audience of kids. Oh yes, <laughs> they, they stayed with us <laughs> because they won't try to fake it if they're if they, that's right. they're not that's entertained. Right. Um, so that's, well, that's, and that's wonderful because, and, and that's a story that, that I've heard numerous times throughout my life of, you know, someone who is active in the arts, whether as a art maker or even just an art patron, you know, just someone who mm -hmm. supports the arts oftentimes traces it back to a really positive, um, almost magical experience that they had when they were a young person, when they were That's right. a kid. And That's that, absolutely right. And it stuck with them. And yeah. And then and then there's the flip side of that is, you know, it what we all always used to say is, you know, get them when they're young, you know, make them yeah. go to the shows, make them go to the galleries. And that's what they know and that's what you do. So that's right. Uh, I mean so making 
you know, the free concerts for uh, uh, youth under 16 and having the, the mm-hmm. family concerts, uh, you know, lends itself to, you know, just making a, a habit of going to artistic things, which I think we, and some of us who were, you know, raised in it, sometimes we still need that refresher because, you know, yeah. we get busy and life gets in the way. Like, oh, we, should, we need to go see a gallery. We need to go to a concert yeah. or something because it'll make things better, make our lives yeah. more fulfilled. Um, exactly. Remember why it is that you're doing everything else. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about um, uh, your work uh, on uh, premiering original works. Um, at, uh, that you've especially with American composers, um, mm-hmm. you know, are these often commissions that you're that you're doing, or or how do you, uh, how how are you making those connections to to do a premiere? Well, there's there's some of each. Um, one of the the uh, uh, deepest relationships that I've developed over the years is with um, Charlie Barnett, who is local composer. He's based in Bethesda, um, and uh, when we first moved to the Atlas, the first season that we were at the Atlas, I, I, I did a season theme of DC homegrown. And I wanted to make a point of focusing throughout the season on different composers who'd had a, uh, a um, relationship, you know, who had lived in the district or in the, at least in the DC area. And, uh, um, or were born here or whatever. So I was, um, I was calling a publisher for a, a quote on a work by uh, George Walker, who is one of our, our, our finest and, and most celebrated composers from this area. Um, and uh, the publisher said, Oh, well, if you're in DC, you should get to know, you know, you should check out this guy, Charlie Barnett. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did. And it, it, we, we really hit it off really, really well. I enjoy doing his music. His orchestra, the orchestra enjoys doing his music, and so over the years, I have, I've premiered a number of his pieces, mo- many of which he had already composed, and they just hadn't had a performance yet. So mm-hmm. you know, I said, you know, he said, why don't you take a look at this? And and I premiered. So it wasn't specifically a commission, um, although he has. Uh, he has written a couple pieces for me. I'm trying to remember if he wrote any of them for me at Capital City Symphony. I think they were they were elsewhere. Um, I uh, next year, next season, we are are hoping to um, premiere um, a, uh, a suite by another um, DC composer. He lives in Shaw by the name of Scott Pender, um, and this is taking music that he wrote for a play years ago and uh, developing it into an orchestral suite. Hmm. Um, so you know, it's it's a little bit of uh, it, it's a little bit of both, um, but a lot of it comes from from relationships. Yeah. Um, when I've checked out composers, there's there's a lot of composers out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, well, it's particularly, I mean, you know, with a a more small mid sized orchestra that you know doesn't have the resources to put out a call right. for a commission or something. And then it, right. certainly those, exactly. those personal connections, uh, I'm sure come into, into play. And That's exactly right. Because the, the cost of a, you know, of a standard, a standard commission fee for, you know, even a, a reasonably short orchestral work can be extremely prohibitive. 
um, and just not something that's really a possibility for an organization like ours. And it's difficult when you really want to support and be part of um, showing the world that what we do, that we don't exist in a museum, that we exist in, you know, that we are, that art continues to be created and art in, in our genre continues to be created that needs to be paid attention to. Um, so, uh, but, uh, you know, there's ways to make it happen. <laughs> and I think that, and that, that's a, a really good point, I think, that you bring up because is, I've been guilty of this, you know, Maybe not so much as I've gotten older and become more mm -hmm. educated and informed, but you know, uh, when I was younger, I always looked at the orchestral music, the art music, as sort of like it was done. Like you know, right. there, there wasn't new stuff. There was you had Beethoven, you had Bach, you had right, Mozart, right? Exactly. And, and that's it was like it was set. You know, it was almost like Latin. You know, it was a not to say it was a dead art form right. because it's still practice, but. Um, and then to to learn like no people are still doing it and same yep. and tangentially same with opera there's new operas coming out you that's know? right and it's uh, uh, for I think that that might be a con I hopefully hopefully I'm not the only one that, that had that sort of like uh, brain hiccup to think that yeah. you know there's no new orchestral music being com uh, composed um, well and you know I think bad for us in the industry if we're not if if we as the um, you know, the, the guardians or whatever of that body of work are, are putting ourselves out there. Well, actually even look at, listen to that terminology, guardians of a body of work. <laughs> it really does sound right. like, you know, we've got the key to, you know, <laughs> this pre-existing thing. And I think that orchestras have a tendency or have historically had a tendency, um, to, uh, to give that impression part of it is part of it is financial because sure. it's you know it's expensive to commission new work new new music is expensive and new music is a risk because we're afraid that people won't come hear it mm -hmm. and but when you're when you're me and um you uh and you, your production expenses aren't quite as as high as you know say a lot of the regional per service orchestras or so forth you know there, we, I have a little bit more flexibility, and so I, I consider it to be my responsibility to take advantage of that. Absolutely. And is that? Do you think that's sort of a common model across the United States, where it's the the, the more small, mid-sized orchestras that a lot of this new music is finding its first public performance because of those that they may have lower, you know, lower overheads, lower uh, it, production you costs, know, or. I think it varies. I think it depends on the ethos of the orchestra. I can think off the top of my head, I can think in particular of two of the larger orchestras in the country that are excellent for putting new music out there and collaborating with composers. And that's the Atlanta Symphony with uh, with Robert Spano and the Baltimore Symphony with Marin Alsop. Um, both, of, both of those orchestras, you know, often when I'm when I'm looking around for new composers, not necessarily for, you know, commissions, but to program because program something that's more recent, uh, which, by the way, is absolutely, if not more important, because sometimes people are very excited about doing a first performance, but doing a second or third performance is that much harder. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, fight for the composers. But anyhow, when I'm looking for stuff, lots of times I'll go see 
you know, well, who's the composer at resident in residence at the BSO or, you know, what has uh, what has Spano put out lately? You know, I think you're right, though, that there's a lot of small and mid-sized organizations that are much more willing to be in the weeds, to take to take the risk with with composers who, you know, don't necessarily have a name yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and to put stuff out there. Um, so let's talk about um, go back to this idea of the of capital city symphony and the access to to the art um that you know particularly moving over to h street now and Mm -hmm. uh, since y'all were one of the original companies uh to set up shop in uh over there right that area has completely transformed Um, oh my gosh yeah uh, I, i used to live over there probably six or seven years ago and I went back, I think, uh, a year or two ago for the first time since I've been gone for several years, and I didn't recognize it. Yeah, these buildings, right. tall buildings that weren't there before. Uh, that's right. And and you know, and, and if what, you go a month later, it would be different. They just they keep building. Right, and so uh, which of course, and and a lot of those are apartment buildings and residential buildings. So we're bringing in mm-hmm. you know potentially new audience for the the arts organizations that were you know there you know on the onset and in part of that development it was uh in addition to the streetcar of horse but part of the the a street development followed right the the atlas and those uh original uh companies like like y'all and the others uh to give you know that idea of you know the arts can drive you know development and people go see the arts Mm -hmm. so how how have you seen in the past 10 12 13 years how have your audience uh, changed uh, in terms of not just uh, attendance, but but who's coming to see uh, or hear uh, your programs? Well, I would say the the biggest the biggest change that I've seen in recent years is um, both in audience and orchestra members and the people that come audition for us um, is that the the average age keeps getting lower. Hmm. Now, I don't know. Maybe that's just that I keep getting older. <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, uh, no, I, you know, honestly, I, I think um, uh, I often tell new people auditioning that the average or- average age of the orchestra is somewhere around 30, as far as I can tell. Hmm. And and so I, I see a large number of audience members that are between that age of 30 and 40, you know, the the kind of young, hip, urban people and and what i love about that is that completely belies the the myth mm-hmm. of the gray-haired blue-haired whatever mm-hmm. orchestra audience mm-hmm. that you know our audiences are dying or you know you watch the audiences aging and there's nobody replacing them mm-hmm. and uh you know it's just not true <laughs> right. it's uh it 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 you simply need to find a, a, a format and uh, and a um, yeah, basically a, a format and an experience that speaks to that that younger crowd. Um, now, the one thing that I will say, so that's that's the great thing about you know all the all the changes that have been happening in H Street. Although the one thing that that I have observed, and we're talking a lot about this in uh, strategic planning that we're doing at Capital City Symphony right now. Um, is that 
you know, there's the, sort of the seamy underbelly of all the, you know, the lovely changes is is the the gentrification question um, that that goes along with that. So, in terms of feeling the importance of wanting to reach out and uh, reach people that that wouldn't otherwise be able to afford to or wouldn't be able otherwise going to con- classical music concerts. I don't feel like we're reaching as many of those as as we have been able to in the past because the price of the cost of living around H Street, as you well know, has gone way up with right. the with the increase in all this. Uh, so we're currently looking for ways of being how can we expand our outreach? You know, is it is it a viable thing for us to have some programs east of the river? Are there other places around town that we can continue to get out? You know, that are that are caught. The costs would be low enough that we can even reduce the ticket barrier more. You know, the ticket price barrier, um, uh, and uh, make sure that we're actually serving, you know, as much of the community that we want to serve. Um, but in a way that's that's sustainable and manageable mm. for us as an organization. That's always the um, the trick. Thank you so much, uh, Maestra, for taking time out of your afternoon to speak with us today. Uh, well, it's and, been my pleasure. And thank you for uh, all the great work that you and Symphony are doing for the, the neighborhood and the city. Uh, and we look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you so much. And thank you to the commission for making it all possible. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Take care. You've been listening to The 202 Studio, a podcast series of the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to the commissioners and staff of the Commission on the Arts and Humanities, the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and special thanks to our mayor, Muriel Bowser, for her support of the Arts and Humanities in the District of Columbia. And thanks to you for listening today. (laughs) 